I want to highlight one more thing that uh, Keith said just a moment ago. It's our men's conference that we're going to be joining the Hills uh, Church in later this year. Really encourage you to consider this uh, if you're a, a man. Uh, love for you to show up. Uh, Donald Miller, Bob Goff, and Jonathan Storman. It's a great lineup. I'm going to be there. And uh, anyone who signs up by tomorrow, uh, if you're going to bring, maybe you want to bring along your high school son. And uh, those are $50 for adults, $25 for students. Uh, And so please sign up online. The information's in the bulletin for how to sign up for that. Hopefully we'll have a a big group uh, go to that this year. Well, for those of you who might be visiting this Sunday uh, from college or a new guest of ours, uh, I am the preacher here. Um, I just started a, a few months ago. And I have gotten my college degree, if you're wondering, you know, the hair and all, and uh, although I'm starting to lose a little bit on the front side, so that question won't be there in years to come. But uh, it is, it's been great being a part of this carol series with all of you, just sharing it, some of these Christmas carols that many of us have sung growing up, uh, that we love this time of year, and there's a lot more to these songs than sometimes we've, we've learned in the past. And I want to talk this morning about the, the song, Silent Night. Uh, and so right now I'd like to pray and then we'll, we'll move into the message in just a moment. God, we thank you so much for the story of Christmas, a story uh, that's enchanted in some ways, God, a story about a star and uh, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and shepherds and wise men. But God, this story continues in the way you continue to come into this world and flesh yourself through your church. That We are your second incarnation, God. And sometimes we don't live up to that. Often we don't live up to that, God. But in our best moments, God, we see glimpses of what you came to do on this earth to bring good news and to change this world uh, to be more in line with what you want it to be. God, we love you and we thank you so much for what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And this season, through all the, the busyness and the, uh, just the hustle and bustle of this season, God, would you remind us what this season is truly all about? Uh, help us to do that with friends and family, God, but to remember most of all your son, Jesus. I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. I want to read the words to the song Silent Night to you this morning, and I want to just ask you to go back to that night as the shepherds received this news of a baby to be born. Uh, let's, it, it's, it says Silent Night. Holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Now I looked at some, of the, some information about the author, but I think the most notable part about this author is apparently he hasn't been at the birth of a child before. <laughs> because it's not a silent night. I remember when Maddox was born into the world, I still remember that first moment of holding him in, in, in my hands, not even my arms, and thinking about all that he might do in the world. This year we get to celebrate Christmas for the first time with our youngest daughter, Brooklyn. It's an exciting time in, in so many ways, Christmas. But it's not a silent night still, five years later. Our, our youngest has been up several times this week. We stayed up last night late for other reasons with uh, the, the football game. Uh, It's been a a crazy holiday already. But I wonder what was in mind when this author wrote about the night Jesus was born. And this is what he writes. Maybe the last two lines are like a a cry of desperation from a mother, right? Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. We may have said that this week a little bit. 
But this story, uh, this song, it, it, it doesn't really make sense, especially this week as I was reading this with some of the headlines that are going on around the world this week, with news in Pakistan of 145 who were killed, many of them children. And I, I hear this song and we sing it together, and there's part of me that says, yeah, that's a nice dream about a way, the way we wish the world would be. That's not reality. It's not a silent night. All is not calm in the world. And we experience that tension, that angst in our own lives. And so it, it's nice to come in and sing these songs, but I think sometimes we have to acknowledge, is this reality what we're singing about? And what did the birth of Jesus really do to change our world? But isn't this what we long for? The words of this song to be a reality? I want to read from some of the prophecies that God gave to the people of Israel long before Jesus came into the world. Uh, Because the Christmas story doesn't begin uh, when Jesus is born. It began long before when when the prophets foretold about a time when the Messiah would come into the world. Some of those descriptions are in the book of Isaiah. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open there. We'll have the words on the screen as well. But Isaiah chapter 2 is where I want to first read one of the prophecies that Isaiah gives about a day and a time that's coming on its way. Isaiah 2 and verse 4. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Isn't that a day we long for? When no longer we'll have to send our young men and women off to war. When that will no longer be the reality that so many of us face on a regular basis, but it will be a peaceful night. The peace will reign out. A silent night, a calm night. That's the longing of Israel. It's our longing as well. Let's read also later on in Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah 60 in the second half of verse 17. More words of good news about a day to come tied in with a Savior. I will make peace your governor, and and well-being your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. And then just a few chapters forward to 65. Isaiah 65 in verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. And yet we hold the Bible up to the newspaper that we've been reading this week, and this is not the way it is yet, is it? We all long for a silent night, a holy night. We live in a world, though, that's without peace. And so we long for this Jesus, not just to enter into the world 2,000 years ago, but for Him to continue to enter into our world with prophetic living in our lives, just like the prophets foretold so many years ago. Which brings me to the story of Jesus' birth. See, the story began with Jesus, and it's not such a silent night, as we talked about a moment ago. Uh, He was born as an infant to an unwed teenage mother with a questionable history and questioning about Joseph and who might be the father And yet the angels proclaim, no, this is not a a father that's an earthly father. This is a heavenly father, a a miracle of sorts done that this child would come into the world. But he's also born into the midst of wartime, like we find ourselves in so often in the past 200,000 years. It's an infanticide that's going on around this season as Herod tries to do away with a baby. It's a difficult time. It's not a silent night. 
And then we think about Joseph and the reason that they are headed to Bethlehem. You, the first character in the story in Luke chapter 2 is not the name of Jesus. The first is Caesar Augustus. Because Caesar's the one who had sent them to the land of Joseph's upbringing so that they would be a part of a census. And, and then Gover, Governor Quirinius is mentioned in that passage. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. It's like the, the Son of God doesn't get to pick how he comes into the world. Just in this manger, and he's forced into Bethlehem. But as we read the prophecies before, we realize that this wasn't just Herod's idea or Caesar's idea. No, this was God's idea that Bethlehem would be the place of his birth. But I begin to wonder about Joseph's family. Because Joseph's family was from Bethlehem. Many of them probably lived there, if not all of them, many, many of them. So why could they not find a room in the end? Why couldn't they just find a room with the family? But if you know the story, you know that there's some questions around this pregnancy. Exactly what's happened between Mary and Joseph and what this baby will become. And meanwhile, in the midst of this, there are these shepherds that are watching over some flocks. Not really a part of the story to begin with, but they enter into the story a little bit later on. And guess what happens to these shepherds? They're just taking care of their sheep. And then that night, they look up and there's an angel that appears. And this is what the angel says. It's in Luke chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 10. Luke 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Now some of you this Christmas may need to just hear the first words of verse 10 this morning. Maybe you just need to leave with those. The, the, the angel says, do not be afraid. Some of us, that is a word of prayer that we need more than any other because fear just dominates and rules our lives. Whether that's fear of finances in this new year, or maybe that's a fear about our kids and what's going to become of them, or maybe it's a fear about our own marriage and some struggle we've been through this last year. 2014 has been a difficult year for many of us. And the word of the angel is still a word to us today, maybe to you this morning. Do not be afraid. Even this is a word to some of our students who took finals and are waiting on the grades to come right back, right? Do not be afraid. Those are hard words to understand. But if that's not the, the message you need this morning, then let's continue reading on. Because it's not just one angel that shows up. All of a sudden, there's a host of angels that show up. And this is what they say to those shepherds. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, this is a crazy story, right? Not just one angel. Now you've got a host of angels coming around proclaiming peace on the earth, but the way I often imagine this scene growing up, and especially these shepherds, as I look at the Hallmark cards I receive this time of year, and I, I look back on, on nativity scenes that I've seen growing up, how do you picture those shepherds? Well, something like this, right? Just nice gentlemen with, with staffs in their hand, right? I mean, just the perfect people you'd want to hold your baby and take care of it, like nurses, since there are no hospitals in this day and age, right? No. There's more to this story, isn't there, of these shepherds and who they were? Like you might think of shepherds as nice guys, but as I started to do some reading this week, I realized some things about the shepherds that may have been different than our picture often is. I, I, I was reading some research this week that some psychologists had done on herding cultures versus farming cultures, okay? You got the idea? They're, they're very different cultures, and some of you may have grown up on a farm, or maybe you were a rancher of some kind. You, you may know these differences better than I do as a city boy growing up, but I'll give this a try, Okay? So in a farming culture, there's a sense in which people plant land, right? They plant a crop, and they stay there. There's stability to the farming lifestyle where you don't move around from place to place. You 
You've got to wait and see the harvest come. You've got to do all the preparation for something to grow. And then, then you reap that harvest and are able to care for, care for and provide for your family, maybe the community that's around you. So there's a stability and a, not a moving from place to place when it comes to farming cultures. But in herding cultures, it's very different. Because they can't stay in one place, so those sheep are going to run out of food, right? A good shepherd has to take his sheep to greener pastures. And so there's this kind of wandering and roaming that goes on in herding cultures. That impacts a society and a culture when for years and years, this is the kind of thing that parents teach their kids to do and they go on. Another difference is how farmers and herders have to protect their living. Because a farm, when it comes down to that, there's a lot that goes into planting and waiting for the harvest to come and reaping what's been planted. But there's a, a lot of that time where you don't have to worry about people stealing your crop because it's in the ground and you're hoping it's going to come up at all, right? So there's not having to protect things. You just kind of have to wait. In fact, there's a whole season where no one can steal anything from you. They might be able to kind of destroy what's there, but, but it, it would take a long time to, to, to uproot and, and, and steal from a farmer. Finally, harvest time comes around and they might be able to do some damage and steal some of your thing. There's just not a lot of protection that goes along with farming in a lot of ways. But herding is very different. Think about ranchers that, that have all kinds of cattle, maybe uh, in the United States or other places. I mean, they, they have to always be on guard against people who could steal everything that they have. And there's no off-season when it comes to taking care of sheep or, or cattle. They, you can have everything taken from you, you know, 365 days a year, 24-7. You've got to be on guard. So when you look at this, the researchers have talked about the difference between herding and farming cultures, that farming cultures tend to have an ethic that's much more peaceful and, and, and isn't worried about trying to protect as much uh, th- th- what they have and what they're trying to, to take hold of. But, but herding cultures, very different. They're, they have more of a violent ethic, uh, uh, making sure that they protect what's theirs in many ways. It's what's demanded because of what they're protecting and, and what their cash crop is. So when I hear this story about the shepherds, I think of them as these kind of you know, hallmark characters, but these are guys that could have uh, taken care of their family quite well and are willing to take care of their sheep at any moment if anything comes to attack. They have to be on their guard at all times. Think back to the story of David and Goliath, right? David grew up as a sheep herder. And this is the story of David and Goliath, but this didn't happen just because he decided one day he's going to go out and kill a giant. He's had to protect, and he's had to learn to be a warrior and protect what was his, right? You remember the day when when, when they, the Samuel comes to try to find who the next king is, and all the rest of the guys are, you know, all ready to, to be chosen. It's like a Cinderella story kind of, right? And where's David? He's out, he's out taking care of the sheep. He has to defend them all, all nights of the year. So, so when it comes to these shepherds in the nativity story, these are not guys who can just kind of take a day off or something like that. These are tough guys who can take care of anything that's a challenge to the cash crop that they have. And so given these challenges... Uh, this is a different kind of person than sometimes what I've thought of growing up. So I know what these guys are after, right? They go to worship Jesus. That, we know what they're doing. But my question is, have you ever considered what they had to leave behind in order to go worship Jesus? I mean, they had to leave all of their sheep behind in order to pursue this Savior who was worthy of worship, yes, but they had to leave everything to worship this new king. Don't you remember other stories in the Gospels that go something like this? Like Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee and they have to drop their nets and they have to leave everything to follow Jesus. And some of us, we love holding on to things, but, but this is the call of the Gospels. When good news comes, when somebody is worthy of praise, we, we give up whatever it takes to pursue that one thing. But I've never thought about what these shepherds had to leave behind. I mean, think about it this way. 
be, be, these shepherds, it's, it's like, what, what if I were to, what if you were to get paid in $10 bills that people dropped on your front lawn that couldn't be taken away from your front lawn, right? I mean, you would do anything to protect that. You'd have to get the right weapons to make sure no one took this cash crop. And that's what these sheep were. But they were willing to leave all of that to pursue this Jesus who had been proclaimed the Messiah. Which makes this nativity scene a bit different than what I imagined growing up. In fact, they may have been sent there to protect this baby Jesus in the midst of a difficult moment in some ways. Let's keep reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels left them and and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You see them. They're just willing to kind of do whatever it takes to go and pursue the baby Jesus. Jesus tells a story later on in his ministry in Luke chapter 15. He tells three stories actually in Luke 15. One of those is about the the, the prodigal son. Many of you may know that story. There's a story about a lost coin. But Jesus tells a story about shepherds and sheep in in Luke 15. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to flip over there. Luke 15, verses 4 through 7. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now what's the traditional kind of interpretation of that parable? Well, is that Jesus cares for those who are lost. And if it means leaving behind those who are saved and not spending as much attention for a time to go seek and save the lost, we, we do that thing, right? But if you're a shepherd, what's the takeaway? Well, that's not a very smart shepherd. Who would leave the 99 in order to pursue the one? No, you you give up, you cut that loss, and then you make sure no one else takes the 99. To give up and leave the 99 is foolish in shepherding work. There's something about the kingdom of God that says, no, no, no. Yeah, you you want to hold on to the 99, but there's something that, that calls us to pursue the one that is most worthy of everything. Or or there's another story that Jesus tells in Matthew uh, chapter 13. It's about the kingdom of God, and he's trying to describe that. And he uses similar imagery about uh, similar ideas. It's Matthew 13 in verse 44. He says, The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Have you ever had something that was so worth, uh, so worthy, so valuable in your life that you would do anything and throw anything else away to pursue that thing? This man has found a treasure, and he was willing to sell everything he had, give up everything to buy this land because the treasure was on that land. And I guess my question is, are we ready to do the same thing? The shepherds were willing to do that in ways I hadn't seen this before. But as Jesus tells these parables, he's trying to say, look, there is something that is so worthy, so valuable, that you ought to give up every other pursuit in your life to pursue that one thing. How many of you, you have children in your lives, whether that's kids or or grandkids or that's uh, uh, kids of of friends that you have, that you would do anything for? I mean, you would would drop anything at a moment just to to, to go and reach out to that kid or to save them from a difficult situation or whatever it might be. You drop it all. But in our lives, it seems like the 99 often becomes so much more important than the one that Jesus wants to save. 
Because we run the numbers in our heads and, and, and we try to make logical sense out of everything. And, and God's saying, no, that's not what this Christmas story is about. This doesn't make any sense really at all. It's a story of foolishness, these shepherds leaving the sheep to go worship the baby Jesus. But if you know who the baby Jesus is, it changes everything. So the song Silent Night we talked about a little bit ago, it, it sounds a little naive and foolish in the same way, doesn't it? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. We look around our world and we go, this isn't, that's not the right song for this season. Maybe one day things will be silent. Maybe when the kids finally get out of the house, we'll have a little silence. Maybe we'll get some sleep one night. Uh, I say this because we say that in our own house, right? We're dreaming of a silent night one of these nights. But there's also a sadness that comes with that too, isn't there? With the silence and the table not being filled in ways it was before. The joy that we knew so long before. And yet, here's the story of Christmas. It's about a silent night. It's about a Savior who comes into the world, put into the hands of someone that can't possibly care for God himself. But God trusts this teenage mother, Mary, to take care of this child. In a moment, I'm going to show a video to you that's a reenactment of a scene that actually happened. Uh, Actually, it's 100 years ago this year. Uh, That's the anniversary of this event. 1914 was when World War I began. It began in the summertime, and those on both sides uh, of this war were expecting it to be finished within a few weeks. But here they are six months later, and about a million people have been killed in those six months leading up to Christmas. When it comes to Christmas, uh, it's Christmas Eve, and, and, and... the, the troops are in foxholes fighting one another. In fact, they're, they're waiting in those foxholes for probably the next day. And it's Christmas Eve, so this is coming up on 100 years in just a few days. And during that time, there was this, this song that began to rise up from the German forces. I, I hope I can get this right, Troy. I said it wrong in first service. Stille, Stille Nacht, Stille Nacht. In English, it's Silent Night, the song we talked about earlier today. And the German forces began to sing, and and then those on the other side began to sing in English, Silent Night. And it was was as if it was this chorus that was going back and forth right in the midst of this battle and this war that had taken so many lives already. The next day, on Christmas Day, this is a a true historical fact. You can look uh, look this up. They they actually came up out of their foxholes and called a truce, not called by the generals. This was a, a grassroots movement from those who heard these songs and decided this should be a night of peace, a silent night. And they came up out of their foxholes, and they, they came into no man's land, and they traded small gifts with one another. One of the most incredible moments in the history of the world. And you look at that event, and you think, that's foolishness, isn't it? This is a war. How could you take time out? But Christmas has always been a foolish story that's more true than the stories we often depend on. Right now I'm about to show this video, and to me it's a, it's a powerful reenactment of what it might have looked like in that day. Imagine yourself in one of those foxholes, and imagine it looking something like this. Jenkins, open. Nine.
Otto. Please meet Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. I'm schön. I'm schön. next day, they went back to fighting. But this is what I describe the kingdom of God as. The kingdom of God is like a war where millions are killed. And the midst song breaks out and the impossible becomes possible. Peace breaks out. But we serve a God who promises that one day hostilities will not continue after the song begins. We serve a God who promised years ago of a day when our, our, our boys would no longer train for war anymore. Our girls wouldn't either. That one day this God is going to bring his kingdom in full and we'll get to see God face to face. And I, I, sometimes I wonder what that's going to be like, right? To come to see God face to face one day. And I, right now I've got my list of questions for him like probably some of you do, right? I've been taking it all through grad school, so he's got a lot to answer for. And I'll add to that list, and I'll add to that list, but I'm just imagining that when I actually see God face to face, my response isn't going to be to blabber on with all these words. It's just going to be to kind of fall to my knees and, and wonder in silence. When all will be made clear, when we see God face to face, 
And the, the questions aren't even needed anymore. It's so clear what it's all been about. A silent night. It feels foolish singing this song in the world the way it is. It feels foolish in our household in some ways. It feels foolish as I held this beside the newspaper this week. But here's the good news about worship and about church. Is often we come into these places and we say, you know, now we've got to take what we've learned and take it into the real world. But let me kind of flip that on its head for a moment. The real world's not out there. The real world is in here. The vision that we come to sing about each week, it sounds foolish at times, but it is the real script that God is writing for his future. So it's not that we leave the the real world and come in here to play fantasy land. We come in here to see the world unveiled as God actually means it to be lived. And then we leave these doors to try to give a taste of that to the rest of the world. That's not always the case. There are times we come in and we don't ask real questions and this becomes a place of pretend. But my prayer is that this will not be a place where that happens. And so we sing songs like Silent Night to remind ourselves not of the way the world is, but the way God desires that it will one day be. And our calling is to live into that. Amen? Let's close our time together with a prayer. God, I thank you so much for this story. It's not just a story like a nursery rhyme that never happened. It's a story that happens, and it's a story that's going to happen again. God, your son is going to enter into this world, and we long for that day, God. So this morning, God, I pray you would... uh, You would send us out these doors with a vision for the way the world really is, not scarred and and, and changed by the world out there. But God, help us to use this to change the world and change us first to do that, God. This morning, God, I pray that that we'd leave these doors to do just that. And and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Be standing now as we close our time. Let me read again from what the angel said in Luke 2:14. Maybe our sending today. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. May we love God, may we love people, and may we serve others. Amen. See you at six o'clock tonight for our candlelight service.